Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I hope your day's been going great. I love great days. I'm having a great day. I'm especially interested in today's topic because I get to have back on the program Stephen Mansfield, who's written a very interesting book called Lincoln's Battle with God, A President's Struggle with Faith and What It Meant for America. That doesn't have your attention. I don't know what else I've got for you on a Tuesday. Well, I take that back. I've got Jeff Redorn on hour two, continuing our, our study on the book of First uh, Thessalonians. So that's what's ahead for today. Always glad to have Stephen Mansfield on. He's a New York Times bestselling author. His works include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God and Guinness, The Character and Greatness of Winston Churchill, and on and on. He uh, lives in Nashville and... Always glad to have him with me. Stephen, welcome back. It's great to be back with you, my friend. How are you? I'm well. I look forward to uh, always having you on. Now, this book, Lincoln's Battle with God, where'd this idea come from? Well, I'll tell you what. I've always loved Lincoln. I've always enjoyed reading about him. But what, what really moved me to write it was I spend a lot of time on university campuses speaking, lecturing, and what have you. And I'm aware that the millennials, the young today, are having a faith journey that they think is unique to them. They think that, you know, all, ge- all generations when they're young think that they're the only ones to go through what they're going through. But as a student of history, I was aware that Lincoln and others had had very much the same kind of journey as many of the young today. You know, we talk about the nuns who are religious or spiritual without actually being connected to church. Well, that was sort of Lincoln, sort of Jefferson. So I thought that by looking at Lincoln, we not only could tell a moving story from history and one that's important to America, but also maybe be speaking about faith with the young today um, in a way that they would relate to. So that's why I wrote it. I love that. So Lincoln was no stranger to suffering. I mean, when I've read through his list of things that he went through in his life, it's pretty epic. I tell you what, Lincoln really suffered. He was known for his depression when he got older. Uh, His friends had to stand suicide watch two or three times. Um, One of his best friends said that he dripped melancholy while he walked. And (laughs) a lot of the reason had to do with death in his life. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a strange upbringing. At one point, his father abandoned his daughter, Lincoln and his sister when they were very young, left him in a cabin on the wilderness for a year um, uh, while he went and found another wife. Uh, Lincoln's mother died when he was nine. His sister died when he was 19. Uh, We may all remember that the first love of his life also died. Um, He said he was acquainted. He was a a man who was haunted by the thought of rain falling on graves. And I think that this is a lot of uh, describes a lot of who he was. Of course, later he would lead the United States through a war in which now historians tell us the deaths were somewhere in the 750,000 range. So Lincoln was a man with a battle who battled depression. He was a man who was sensitive, but he had suffered a lot of death and hardship in his life. And I think that explains a lot of what he ultimately became. And by the way, a lot about his journey back to God. 
Stephen, what do you know after his mother died? What was his childhood like? I know he ended up going to law school, didn't he? He didn't actually go to law school. He did at the time what they call reading the law. Okay. Um, under law, he owed his father his labors until he was 21. That was just the law at the time. Okay. Uh, he, re- he was required to work for the family firm, uh, family farm, until he was 21. But uh, then he left immediately. He did not get along well with his father. He left immediately and went to a town called New Salem. And we remember the stories. He was a store clerk and did other jobs. But eventually, he decided to read the law. That means he got some older lawyers to tutor him. He read a lot of books. He passed some oral examinations, and he became a lawyer. And I think that law was suited for him, not only his rhetorical gifts, but the way he thought, uh, the way he wanted evidence, the way he thought in terms of first principles and and, and the, the history of the common law. So he was a very, very good lawyer by all accounts. Mm-hmm. Stephen Mansfield is my guest. His book is Lincoln's Battle with God, A President's Struggle with Faith and What It Meant for America. When we look at the suffering that Lincoln went through with all the death, Stephen, what was he, how was he developing his thoughts and attitudes towards God? Well, I think that a lot of Lincoln's problem with religion had to do with his father. So early in his life, Uh, Lincoln lived along a major road, um, and uh, this was during a time when America was undergoing a revival called the Second Great Awakening. So a lot of the camp meeting crowds, a lot of the religious preachers and so on, uh, passed down this road. Lincoln heard them. Uh, Lincoln's parents were very much caught up in in this revival. And we may remember reading about this a little bit in our history classes. It was a very rough frontier kind of revival. Uh, I think it was legitimate in most cases, and it it powerfully shaped American history. Um, But to put it in descriptive terms, the meetings were loud and sweaty and athletic, (laughs) a lot of jumping around, (laughs) a lot of, of, you know, we we would think of it a little bit, I don't mean to be insulting, a little bit like snake handlers today. Okay. Um, Loud and demonstrative. It wouldn't be uncommon at all for somebody to run out of the church and run around the building two or three times and run back in as part of their religious excitement. Well, Early in Lincoln's life, he had actually had sort of a religious leaning. He would often re-preach sermons that he had heard, and he read the Bible a lot. When his parents were away, he and his sister would play church, they called it, and recreate religious services. But as Lincoln's relationship with his father got worse and worse, um, I think he got turned off to religion. His father was the kind of guy who would get weepy about religion at the dinner table, and then be abusive to his children the next day. Mm-hmm. And so we, we we all know folks like this, right? That God is sort of father or dad writ large. And if you had a bad relationship with your father, you might think of God in negative terms. If there's no question that Lincoln got turned off to religion because he saw something he didn't like in the way his father was sentimental, but mean, um, tearfully religious, but a man maybe without character, without love. Mm -hmm. And so Lincoln walked away from the faith for many years. And I believe that this is because he was reacting to his father like like many of us have done. Yeah, seems fair and fairly common, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah. So in your book, you talk about kind of an odd belief that Lincoln thought his birth was illegitimate and that this was possibly a sign that God had rejected him. Tell us more about that. Yes, isn't this odd? Uh, there, Lincoln definitely believed something that was fed by the beliefs of the time, um, and that is that he might have been illegitimate, and he actually wasn't, um, and that 
that therefore meant that God had rejected him. It's a very strange belief. Uh, Lincoln's grandmother had been raped by a Virginia aristocrat. Mm. And so therefore Lincoln's mother was illegitimate. And in the thinking of the time, uh, Lincoln therefore was illegitimate. And he would even speak about his traits and his gifts as though they were quote, stolen. Um, so he actually believed that God had rejected him because of, I'm going to use the word that was used at that time, his bastardy, mm -hmm. um, meaning the fact that he's illegitimate. Well, this sounds odd to us. We don't think less today of a child because of the circumstances in which they were born. But the beliefs at the time about genetics, rough as they were, uh, the beliefs, the shame that came upon an illegitimate child, all of that worked into Lincoln's soul. And one of his best friends said, uh, didn't Lincoln suffer Job-like because he believed himself illegitimate? So he, he Lincoln talked about this openly. Uh, that God did not favor him, that God did not draw near, that he was not as perhaps loved as others might be because he was illegitimate. Now, of course, I don't mean to pick on our friend, Mr. Lincoln, but this is crazy. He wasn't mm -hmm. himself illegitimate, number one, and it's based on false genetics and it's based on some false old European views. But it doesn't just just because we know better today does not mean that Lincoln suffered any less. He literally believed that he had been marked with a mark of Cain and wow. maybe was rejected by God. It's a, it's a terrible thing to contemplate in a human soul. Stephen, it also sounds like he's playing a little bit of a victim mentality. Well, there's no question about it. And that's amazing because he had such gifts, was yeah. so loved. Oh, yeah. Um, at the same time, you know, there's the, even in our, our, amongst our friends and people we know today, it's hard to describe or hard to figure out why they might feel insecure. I, I, I can picture friends of mine I think are stellar, amazing, good looking, talented. But when they confess to an insecurity, it makes no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> and I try to encourage them otherwise. I'm sure we've all had situations like that. Yeah. So here's Lincoln, gifted, intellectual. Ultimately, we know he's going to be president of the United States. But there wasn't a moment of his adult life that he didn't think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm rejected. I'm rejected by God. God, God is not drawing near to me. He's not delivering me. He's not hearing my prayers because I am somehow, and he would have used the harder word, but somehow illegitimate. Sure. And it's, it's not something you put in the textbooks, but I think it had a lot to do with this battle of God that I described with God that I described in the book. And it certainly had to do maybe not with a sense of victimhood. You, you, you might be right. That's the word. We don't, we don't have a sense of that in the page, but definitely a sense that he is somehow religiously second class. That's so and, interesting. Um, that's stunning for a man of such accomplishments. Yeah. Stephen Mansfield is my guest. We're going to take a break. His new book is Lincoln's Battle with God, A President's Struggle with Faith and What It Meant for America. If you have a question or a comment, you can text it over. That line is open just for you, 877 933 2484. When we come back, I want to find out about the years that Lincoln had, uh, which some referred to as his atheist years. I never thought of Lincoln going to this atheism size aside, but apparently he did. So we'll get back and find out from Stephen Mansfield in just a minute. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. 
Welcome back to the show. Stephen Mansfield is my guest. Our topic today is President Abraham Lincoln. He has a book called Lincoln's Battle with God, A President's Struggle with Faith and What It Meant for America. So, Stephen, you talk about in your book that Lincoln lived through some atheist years. I'd love to know more about what those years looked like. Yeah, we don't we don't tend to talk about this much, but there's no question that uh, for the reasons we talked about in the last segment, uh, Lincoln having a real hard time with his father and walking away from religion, that when he left his father's service, so to speak, at the age of 21, having served the family previously, uh, he went to live in a place called New Salem in Kentucky. And there he read a lot of the religious skeptics, people like Volney and Gibbon and Thomas Paine. And he uh, began to hang out with uh, people that his one of his friends called religious liberals. Apparently, New Salem had a lot of religious liberals in it. And eventually, Lincoln became the village atheist. He was the kind of guy who walked around <laughs> carrying a Bible just to argue with people about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he wrote he wrote a book, a little booklet called uh, Infidelity, in which he defended very much like Thomas Paine and others. Uh, his opposition to Christianity. I mean, Thomas Paine, though he's famous in American history for uh, the, the, the pamphlet Common Sense that helped launch the American Revolution. After that revolution, he wrote a book called The Age of Reason, in which he just trashed the Christian faith, just criticized Jesus, caused him, called him all kinds of names. This was the kind of stuff that Lincoln was reading. So he wrote a little booklet called Infidelity, in which he defended uh, moving away from the Christian faith. His friends knew he had political aspirations and really believed in him. So they grabbed that booklet and threw it into the fire, Wow! uh, making Lincoln furious. But we don't have that booklet to this day, but there were lots of people who saw it. And they just said, we can't can't let this thing see the light of day. It'll ruin his political aspirations in a largely Christian America. So for a lot of years, uh, Lincoln was, the, the again, the best way to say it is the village atheist. Maybe we've all known people like this, someone who's an atheist and can't talk about anything else. You know, Churchill said that a, that a fanatic is somebody who uh, can't change their mind and won't change the subject. And uh, that's, how, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's how Lincoln was. He was the kind of guy walking around wanting to pick a fight about religion. And that went on for many years. That went on for quite some time. And I think it shaped, it's important for us to know because Lincoln eventually will have the the reputation as one of our most spiritual presidents. Mm-hmm. But around, you know, 1832, 1834, that era, 35, 36, no, he's nowhere near it. He is the village atheist. People would see him coming uh, down the street and cross to the other side or try to hide from him so they wouldn't have to argue with him. And um, that's just the kind of person he was at the time. Yeah, Stephen, don't you think that the fish doesn't fight until it's on the hook? Exactly. You know, exactly. To me, I'm thinking Lincoln is all in for God. He's just fighting through his doubts. Well, you know the atheist creed, right? There is no God, and I hate him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but I mean, in other words, most a- most atheists that I've known are people who are being drawn and pursued, as they say, by the hound of heaven. They're being drawn by the Holy Spirit, and they're just ticked off about it. Yeah. So they're not really atheists. And then when you really drill down and I say, well, tell me why you don't believe in God, what they do is not tell me why they don't believe in God. They they tell me why they're mad at the God who actually exists, and they know he exists. Yeah. So uh, all that to say that this is Lincoln at that time. A lot of deaths, a lot of pain, a lot of disappointment with his father's religion, um, trying to be the frontier intellectual. and but actually what's going on, I think you're right, is that God's reaching to his heart and Lincoln's not happy about it. Yeah. 
and probably for Lincoln's sake, he's lucky there were, the internet wasn't around because if they can throw that book away, it's not going to come back to haunt him. Exactly. If that thing, it's he wanted to publish it, he wanted to reproduce it. Had he done that, had he gotten out, he would. He, I mean, naturally speaking, barring a work of God, uh, he would never have been president. The United States at that time, largely Christian. Yeah. Nobody even close to atheism could be elected even to local office, it would have ruined him. And again, that's why his friends grabbed it, threw it in the fire, and then had to, you know, fight him off because he was mad at them. So yeah. um, kind of a kind of a strange episode, but I think this again plays into the whole narrative, the whole journey that Lincoln makes towards faith that really culminates in the White House. So interesting, Stephen Mansfield, because when you uh, think of how that could have stopped him from becoming president, that alone could have could have iced his chances of ever becoming our 16th president. Oh, no question. Yeah. No question. Would have completely shut him down. I mean, I'm not sure it wouldn't do it today, in fact. Oh, I I'm think not sure that you can actually have an atheist, an outspoken atheistic president uh, running today. We, we both know that while there's a lot of question and upheaval about religion today in America, still something in the 85% range believe in God and want their presidents and their elected leaders to do the same. So, no, I, I think it would have killed his chances, and that's, that's again, his friends knowing that and believing in him burned the thing, and he was, of course, livid. Mm-hmm. Do you know approximately how many years he did this atheist routine and everyone avoided him, and do you know how, many, how long well, that lasted? Yeah, it's about 1832 till just about 1837. Okay. So a good, a good five years yeah. of his life, he is outspokenly, demonstrably, atheist and uh just vicious about it wow you know looking for a fight hunting down the local preacher at the pub so we can argue yeah. with him, that so, kind of thing five years and, is- and again as we as we've said that that just means his heart's aflame and he's he can't he, he doesn't want to recognize what's really going on yeah i understand that but i also know that five years is long enough to build a reputation as an atheist you know if you go on an atheist rant for three months people may not remember but five years you're you're uh, planting your your flag in the ground no, no question. And the only reason it wasn't more of a scandal is that New Salem, this town on the frontier in, the, in Illinois, was known as a haven for religious liberals. We historians okay. don't know quite why that happened. Uh, could have been just that the early settlers were kind of anti-religion and drew people like them. Uh, but it, but that's the only reason it wasn't more of a scandal at the time. And then, of course, a change did come ultimately. Yeah, well, let's talk about that change. There was a, a time of turning in Lincoln's life. It was a slow return to faith. Um was he mentored by somebody? How did that happen? Well, the, the change really came when he got elected to the Illinois legislature and moved to Springfield. And this is when something comes into play that you and I care, care very much about, and that is Christians who know how to do apologetics. Amen. Um, on the frontier in New Salem, you may have had a lot of religious liberals, but apparently the Christians there didn't know how to give a reason for the hope that was in, within them. But when, when Lincoln moved to Springfield and became part of the legislature, uh, he began to meet well-read, well-spoken Christians who knew how to make an apologetic for the faith. They, wow. knew, they knew how to defend their faith. And so for the first time, Lincoln, who has been a frontier intellectual, a man well-read, uh, but not schooled formally very much, and who had not been around a lot of high intellectuals, begins to run into lawyers and people from Harvard who have moved to the frontier and people who maybe haven't gone to formal schools, but they're well-read and they're devoted Christians. And they can they can answer the objections. They can answer the criticisms. They could speak to a Thomas Paine or a Gibbon, the people Lincoln had been reading, 
who criticized the faith and tried to undercut the faith of others. And so Lincoln really points in his writings and in his conversations with his friends to these intelligent Christians in Springfield who could articulate why they believed what they believed. And that began, and by the way, the clergy, I have to say, the clergy in that town were well-read, well-educated, serious men of God. And Lincoln had only known kind of frontier bombastic, uh, hard-hitting preachers. Now, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with a bombastic, hard-hitting preacher, but but sometimes if you don't also have the heft, the intellectual heft in the footnotes, um, it can be just a lot of shouting. And that's what Lincoln felt like preachers were like until he got to Springfield. So that's when the turn really happens, is when he gets elected to the legislature, he goes to Springfield, and he starts meeting intelligent, well-read, uh, serious Christians. Mm-hmm. And I always say there's different keys for different locks, and there's going to be the kind of men and women that he came across in Springfield were finally the type of people that were really getting his attention. I'm guessing that he still had some of his atheistic pushback in these early conversations, or had his heart already softened by then? Well, I, I think his heart was softening, frankly, because when you're in a atheistic jag, or frankly, any kind of jag in life, it usually runs out of steam after a while. Mm-hmm. In other words, I think in New Salem, uh, part of what fueled his atheism was that he liked to be argumentative. He liked the fight. When the people wouldn't fight with him anymore, either because they couldn't or they were tired of him, <laughs> I think it just ceased to become the forefront thing of his life. But when he went to Springfield and he met these intelligent Christians, they actually welcomed his concerns. They welcomed his objections. Now, what do you, what, what, what's your problem with the divinity of Jesus? And what, what, what's your argument against the inspiration of Scripture? Okay. And, and miracles now. You deny miracles. Why? And then they would calmly, over a dinner, um, explain why they believed differently and come with history and theology and even lawyers' arguments. And Lincoln was impressed and really began to change at that point, really began to make a turn. Yeah. Before we go to break, Stephen, I'd love for you to give everyone listening a little uh, advertisement for the importance of apologetics. Well, I, I'm a huge <laughs> believer in it. I mean, we we all can just simply describe what we've experienced, but there are ways of articulating the faith. The Bible says, uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. The word there means rational articulation, mm-hmm. uh, sane, a sane argument. And so uh, there are many, many great figures in history who were led to, to Jesus because somebody was intelligent. They weren't just they weren't just babbling. And I think at our time we're seeing very intelligent arguments against the gospel. Mm-hmm. But I think we have greater power if we will train ourselves in the in the techniques and the art of apologetics, thus not only obeying scripture, but also perhaps winning our generation. Yeah, beautifully said. Stephen Mansfield is my guest. His book is Lincoln's Battle with God, a president's struggle with faith and what it meant for America. We've got lots more ahead. Uh, with Stephen. If you have a question or comment, I would be welcome to hear it. 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. You can learn more about Stephen at stephenmansfield.tv. Be right back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. I guess Stephen Mansfield has a whole long list of pretty impressive credits, not only being a New York Times bestselling author. He also is a senior fellow in public leadership at Palm Beach Atlantic University, and he leads a speaker training firm based in Washington, D.C. He's written a number of books. His one we're talking about today is called Lincoln's Battle with God, A President's Struggle with Faith and What It Meant for America. And Stephen, let's go uh, to the part of your book where you talk about Lincoln wrestling with God's will for the nation during the Civil War. Yeah, this is this is something that I find very moving. Very, oh, yeah. very moving. Um, here you have, obviously, a nation divided. Both sides are claiming the support of Scripture and God in support of their, their cause. Um, and Lincoln is wrestling with God. And, and part of the reason is that you know if you know a little bit of the history of the civil war you know that the, the war did not go well for the union forces which is what lincoln commanded the north um, in the fir- almost the first half of the war and so lincoln kept thinking well look if slavery is evil and god is on our side as i'm assured by many people then why can't we seem to win a battle why can't we seem to to gain the victory. Why did things go wrong? The, the things that went wrong for the Union in the first couple of years were stunning. Um, generals wouldn't press for the battle, for the victory. Uh, armies made huge mistakes. Uh, at one point, Lincoln put his army under the command of a general who wouldn't fight. Lincoln got frustrated and finally said, if the general is not going to use the army, I would like to borrow it. Um, <laughs> the point was that you know, I can't get anybody to fight. Generals mm-hmm. would chase, chase an army or chase their opponents across a river and then stop and have tea, but wouldn't go ahead and press it to victory. So Lincoln was frustrated. God, what are you doing? I mean, again, at this point, it, it's, it feels to me very familiar. I don't live my life in frustration with God, but I've certainly had my seasons of being frustrated. Lord, why don't you give the victory? Or why don't you heal? Or why don't you fix this? Or why aren't you uh, you know, arising and acting in, in the way I think you should. Of course, that's very vain. But my point is that I relate to Lincoln during these years. And so what he did was he would, of course, he was in agony, fighting off depression to suffering at the number of deaths. Um, he would walk around the White House all hours of night. And sometimes he would sit down and he would write out his theological debates. And fortunately, his secretaries kept those. And after his death, they were published. But one of them says, I'm trying to reason this out. God cannot be for and against something at the same time. And then he just reasons from there. If he's against slavery, then why isn't he stamping it out and giving victory to the Union? Why does this war drag on for so many years with so many deaths and so much suffering? So he really is battling, wrestling with the meaning of the war. By the way, uh, you can really see this in the two uh, inaugural addresses he gives the two, you know, when he wins the presidency and he gives his addresses. Um, we can talk about them more if you'd like. But in the first one, it's at the beginning of his presidency, and he turns to the South and says, uh, "In your hands and not mine is this issue of war. In other words, you're in charge. We war. You can stop the war if you want to." And he, the whole speech is all about how human beings can control this thing. By the time he gets to the second inaugural address, he has really learned something. 
he has seen that God, he believed, came to believe that God was visiting the war uh, on the nation in judgment for slavery. And so instead of saying, well, the North or the South is in charge, he says, no, God's in charge. This, this, this was something he did, and he has acted in this situation. He's judging the whole nation for slavery. That was his view. And we can read that in the great second inaugural address. So I, it, though Lincoln's presidency was only one term because, of course, he was horribly killed, um, the fact of the matter is that he was wrestling with God the entire time he was in the White House, late in the night, crying out to God, writing out arguments, trying to understand God's will. And of course, he had many Southerners saying that slavery was God's will and Lincoln was wrong to try to combat it. So uh, he was an agony of soul at every, at every level. Well, Stephen, I, I, when you stop and describe it that way, it's sad to think of what a tortured soul he must have been wandering the White House throughout the night, writing out his debates, wondering what God's will was. Uh, that just sounds amazing. Well, and by the way, added to that is something that we hear about a little bit more. You know, the Lincolns had already lost one son back in Springfield uh, before they ever went to the, he ever ascended to the presidency and they went to the White House. Um, and that was, that was horrible. Lincoln would visit the grave at night. Mary Todd Lincoln, his wife, would scream into the night like a wounded animal. I mm. mean, it was it was terrible. Well, they got to the White House, and not long after they got there, their second son died and died horribly of a long-term disease. Oh. And Mrs. Lincoln's uh, grief, she, again, screaming like an animal throughout the night, terrified the servants in the White House. Lincoln used to lock himself in his office and turn off the lights one day a week to grieve. He just, that's all he had to, he wanted to back everybody off. So during the middle of the war, I think it was every Thursday, uh, he would lock the door, turn out the lights and grieve. Uh, people wondered for his sanity. They worried about him. So in addition to having the war with all of its deaths and the nation being destroyed and half the nation or more blaming Lincoln. Um, and in addition to his own, what may have been biological depression or, or psychological depression, we don't know exactly, but horrible battles with depression. He then had the death of not one, but two of his children laid on him and his wife unhinged. He, he had to take her to the window of a White House one time and point out a mental institution on the horizon and say, mother, if you don't pull it together, we're going to have to put you there. So all of that to say, if you've ever seen the photographs of Lincoln before, or just as he's becoming president, and at the end, um, it's as though the man's aged 100 years. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why. I think the psychological and spiritual pressure on Lincoln was stunning. And the, the reason I wrote this book, again, as I say, is because I think many people have torrential seasons of wrestling like this. Um, and they, they need to know that others have as well. And I think Lincoln eventually arrived at a place of deep faith. And, uh, and and confidence in God, but it came at a great price, a great price in his life. Mm -hmm. Stephen, was Lincoln's wife supportive of his political ambitions? Did she want to be in the White House? She loved being in the White House. In fact, when she got there, she horribly overspent and caused all kinds of problems for him. Um, but Mary Todd Lincoln was a, was a difficult woman. That's probably the best way to say it. Um, she was an Episcopalian who eventually became a Presbyterian. Um, she joined a Presbyterian church, which means she would have had to been interviewed about her faith. And she obviously passed. They, they believe she was genuinely Christian. 
But because of the deaths of her sons, she got involved in the occult in Washington, D.C. She went to seances and, you know, it was kind of the style at the time. And some people promised they could help her make contact with her dead sons. It's all, all of it's horrible and manipulative. But uh, I'm answering your question by saying she loved being in the White House, but she was a woman who was much distracted and much a burden to Abraham because of the grief, because of the embarrassing episodes with seances, which, of course, the press learned about. Um, and because she wasn't much of a support to him, she wasn't calm and peaceful and together and supportive. And by the way, if we see the great movie uh, in the last few years called Lincoln, that was that was you know top a top seller at the theaters. I think this is beautifully brought out. They argue Lincoln says it's always your grief; it's always bigger than everything else. I think he resented the fact that she wasn't there for him, and she was off either spending at seances or grieving. That's kind of what she did the whole time he was in the White House, and I think that caused them some problems. Mm-hmm. Stephen, I'd love to go back and spend a little bit more time on the first and second uh, inaugural addresses, but I'm cons- I'm interested about, let's just go to the first address, and where was Lincoln's faith at that time? I think Lincoln definitely had a faith in God. Now, Lincoln was suspicious of churches. He was a little cautious about clergy, um, but he had known some good clergymen. In fact, there had been a Presbyterian minister named James Smith who had uh, reached to him. uh, He was the pastor of First Presbyterian Springfield, and he had reached to Lincoln during that time of grief and and, and by all accounts helped him uh, begin to take hold of God. Uh, Lincoln began giving money to churches. He began, he loaned his buggy to a Baptist minister for two years. Um, he uh, began reading the Bible, having long conversations with with Smith. And so by the time he gets to the White House, he's a man who believes in God. He talks about God a lot. He's He, he battles and talks about God's will for the nation. But the first inaugural, um, I think, reflects where he was at the time. He's still very much believes that human events are, are our human will very much controls historical events. Now he'll change during the time of the war. We can talk about that when you're ready, but I, but I think what we need to understand that when Lincoln comes to Washington, he's a believer in God. He doesn't subscribe to any one church's creed. Um, He wants God to move. He's a praying man. He's a man who reads the Bible. There was one on his desk and he often talked to visitors about what he was reading. Soon as he gets to Washington, by the way, he joins the First Presbyterian Church in Washington and attends regularly. So that's sort of where he is. Was he, to use the modern language from Scripture, was he born again? Had he been baptized? No, he was not baptized. But he was a regular attender at church and drew great comfort from what was preached at church. In fact, one of the interesting little details about Lincoln's faith life is that right across from Lafayette, right across the Lafayette Square from the White House, as many people know who have visited, is St. John's Church. And that's called the Church of the Presidents because almost every president in American history has worshiped there. Mm-hmm. Lincoln used to sneak across the park and go down into the basement of the church and sit in the pastor's office when there were prayer meetings going on. He didn't want to be visible in the prayer meetings, but he was very encouraged by the faith and the prayers of the people for him and for the Civil War. So he would, with the pastor's permission, sneak into his office, leave the door open, and listen to the prayer meetings that were going on on a Wednesday or a Tuesday night. And they very much encouraged him. So that tells you something of where he is. He's encouraged by the intercession of God's people during that time of trial. That means there's been a change in Lincoln's life, a deep change. And so that, his church involvement, his reading of Scripture, 
etc. All of this helps us understand he's a man with faith in God, but still wrestling a bit with his will for the war and wrestling with his own sense of being marked as kind of maybe not fully accepted by God. Mm. That's such a great behind-the-scenes story, Stephen, that he would sneak into the pastor's office and leave the door open so he could hear them praying. That's that's an amazing story. Yeah. Think about think about the condition of heart you have to be in to be encouraged by prayer. You're yes. not an atheist. Right. You're not you're not uh, angry at churches. You're not angry at Christians. You believe there's a God. Uh, you want to hear their prayers. Uh, you want to be encouraged by that. Maybe you're secretly saying amen behind that door. Um, I think that tells us a lot about where he was and what his hopes were set upon. Mm-hmm. What about the second uh, inaugural address and how that that address was an incredible, almost a American political sermon, wasn't it? I think it's the greatest American political sermon. I think it's one of the greatest speeches in American history, and certainly when it comes to religion, the greatest, uh, I think, of all presidents. Um, Again, first inaugural, Lincoln believes events are in the hands of human beings. He's pleading with the South, in your hands and not mine, he says, uh, is this great matter of civil war. But after four years, Lincoln believes that God has been executing his own justice, his own sovereignty and providence in the world. And in the speech, he actually says that God has visited this war upon the nation. And he says that's not inconsistent with what we read about in Scripture, uh, that right, blessed are the judgments of the Lord, that the Lord does as he wills. He's the ruler of nations. And so Lincoln says he really has come to the conclusion that the Civil War was visited on the United States in judgment for slavery. That's Lincoln's conclusion. And he proclaims that. He says, look, God visited this war on us. Let's not blame each other. And this, then he starts saying the beautiful phrases that we have, you know, let's let's mend the souls of our warriors and restore our nation and welcome him who has borne the battle, you know, those kind of magical phrases that he used. When he finished that speech, uh, a friend asked him if he thought um, the people would really love it. And he said, I don't think so. And the friend said, why? And Lincoln said the very telling phrase. He said, because people don't like being shown the gap between themselves and God. That's an Mm, exact quote. We had two two or three people who heard it. So in a sense, Lincoln is seeing himself as, I'm going to use this weird phrase, small p prophet. I mean, Lincoln would never have said, I'm a prophet of God. But he does believe that he is pleading God's case to the American people in the second inaugural address. And when he's asked if people will like it, he says, I don't think so. Why not? (laughs) Because they don't like being shown the gap between themselves and God. So wow. he perceived the second inaugural address as making a case, like lawyer-like, for God, and people perhaps not liking it because they don't like having their distance from God exposed. I think that's very telling. Yeah, that's fascinating. Stephen Mansfield is my guest. We're going to take a little break. His book is Lincoln's Battle with God, A President's Struggle with Faith and What It Meant for America. We'll be right back. Giveaway. I don't know if, the, if that's three words or three syllables. I'm not sure it matters. What really matters is we are giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? If you have ever wondered about hearing the voice of God or 
is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is, is there anything I can do when God seems silent? All of that is covered in Susie's new book. And if you want to get in on the drawing, you can enter to win your copy now. You can do it at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast and supporting Faith Radio. I'm back with Stephen Mansfield. Stephen, I got a couple questions that came in. Uh, let's see. Did Stephen's research reveal anything concerning Lincoln's relationship with Frederick Douglass, who was a believer in Christ and a frequent visitor at Lincoln's White House? Lincoln admired him. Uh, he, Douglass troubled Lincoln a little bit because, you know, Lincoln's solution uh, initially for blacks in America, especially ex-slaves, was that they be returned to Africa. And here was Douglas, an articulate, intelligent man, who, by the way, ended up becoming an ambassador for the United States. Um, and Douglas had no intention of going to Africa. I mean, he became an ambassador to that continent, but he had no intention. He wanted to be an American. He wanted to be here. He wanted to plant here. So they had a friendship. And I think Lincoln sat up at night thinking thinking about Frederick Douglass, uh, not only his genius, but also his desire to stay right here in the United States and help build a nation that was you know, safe and uh, prosperous for all people so were they were they close friends was were they mentors to each other no uh and there was a little bit of contention there because you know douglas was always lobbying lincoln for something lincoln didn't necessarily want to do but i think i think uh, douglas profoundly affected lincoln's thinking and um it may very much have been on his mind when he was writing some of his great speeches mm-hmm. so after all of your research, Stephen, and, and your book, Lincoln's Battle with God, I think just in our remaining time, I would love to try to get some summaries, some conclusions, some uh, specific thoughts from you on what we really understand Lincoln's faith to have been and what what his faith and his influence on American history. Well, let me tell you just quickly, by way of wrapping up the story and heading into your question, of course. that... We now know that as Lincoln was sitting in the booth at Ford's Theater about to be shot, he turned to his wife and said, continuing a conversation they had had earlier that day, uh, we will not go back to Springfield after the war. I'd like to go abroad and travel where I can rest. I would so much like to go to, to the Holy Land. I would like to walk in the footsteps of the Savior. Wow. And those, those were among the last words he oh ever my. spoke. I did not know that. S- Yes, it's it's You're very well documented, me. and uh, exactly isn't that amazing? Wow! So yeah. we don't again that that doesn't make it into the textbooks, of course, but uh, too religious. But I think that tells us where he was. Was he ever baptized? No. Did he ever join a church? No. But he was a man who had come to bow, so to speak, to God's providence. Certainly in the Civil War, he was a man who read Scripture, took comfort in it, uh, cried out to God, took comfort from people's intercession. Um, raised his, ch- his sons in the church. Um, and I believe that he died expressing a desire to walk in the footsteps. And notice he doesn't just say walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, but walk in the footsteps of the Savior. Yeah. And I believe that that tells us where he was. Now, I'm not going to go around uh, saying definitively who in history is born again and who's not. Right. <laughs> I'm not God. Uh, but I But I do believe that what's fascinating about Lincoln is he made a journey from a religious little boy to an angry atheist teenager and early man, young man, 
um, to and then through a slow progression of faith through deaths and grief um, and the help of clear understanding clergy to a point of a, of a confident faith in God. And that's what was on his lips as uh, John Wilkes Booth Derringer Ball entered into his brain. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's where he was. Now, what does it mean for the nation? You know, I live in Washington, D.C., as you know, and I'll tell you that whether you're talking about tourists from India or China, uh, wherever they are in the world, Lincoln, not Washington, but Lincoln is the figure most associated with Washington, D.C. The Lincoln Monument uh, is the most visited place in Washington, D.C., um, people relate to him. They relate to the man born in a dirt floor cabin who becomes president, sets the captives free, etc. And so he's also known as our most spiritual president. I don't think that's 100% true, but that's that's the reputation. So I think he set the bar for presidential faith. I, say, I think he set the bar for people crying out to God, wrestling with God for his will for the nation. Um, I think he's on the mind of every president. You know, I've read a lot of presidential biographies and autobiographies, and I don't think there's any question every president's thinking about Lincoln all the time. His picture's never removed from the Oval Office of the White House, no matter who's president. And so I think that he is whispering in the ears of every president, many statesmen all the time, so to speak, um, and helping them remember God, remember his will, remember to do good for the nation, and challenging them about their own faith. And I've had, you know, I've had, as you know, I've written books about presidents. I've obviously met with them, uh, and they've expressed such things to me. And so I very much believe that Lincoln is um, a magnetic pull towards faith, towards God, towards Jesus Christ um, on, on, on presidents and statesmen. And by the way, worldwide, you know, there's a statue of Abraham Lincoln in Parliament Square in London. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's because our leaders there, British leaders, wanted to have his influence in their lives. And then, by the way, many other places in the world. So I'm grateful for Lincoln. I'm grateful for his journey, as painful and agonizing as it was. And I think that he's left us beautiful words and a powerful example of faith. Yeah. Stephen, as you're describing Lincoln, verse that popped into my head was John six twenty nine that says, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I'm thinking Abraham Lincoln believed in him. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any problem with that. I sometimes caution people not to say things we don't know. People oh. say, "Well, he's going to be baptized the next week," and right. that kind of thing. We don't have any evidence of all that, but that's not the most important thing to me. I think you're absolutely right. I think he believed, uh, and he would have said with some, someone in the scriptures, "I believe, help my unbelief." Um, I believe, but I still got questions. Well, that's yeah, right. okay. God, yeah. God, God takes us in with our questions. We've all got questions. Amen. So I, I think it's a powerful story, and I really appreciate getting to talk to you about it this evening. Yeah. Let's, uh, before we check out of this uh, hour together, Stephen, I want to ask you about Lincoln's uh, faith, of course, and how his faith uh, would uh, express itself today in this generation. I think he would be very compassionate with those who are seekers. Okay. He would would understand the nuns. Uh, He would understand, you know, people uh, like a lot of kids I know who don't go to church but sit around starbucks with uh <laughs> wor- working through purpose-driven life or, or a chapter of the sure. bible with four or five of their friends i mean they're they're, they're seekers they're serious they they may even believe in jesus may even you know be radically committed to him they're just they're just fed up with church yeah and certainly uh, religious politics and so i think lincoln i think Lincoln would have been an encouragement to them i think he i think he would not have rebuked them he would have he would have met with them he would have encouraged them he would have been part of that so to speak um but he definitely by today's standards would have been on the sort of conservative 
uh, traditional Orthodox side of Christianity. He believed in, in, the, in the scriptures. He believed in God. He, he, he believed in, in Jesus Christ. And so I think he, he would have been seen as a, a bit further down the road than a lot of people are today. But, but, I, but I think he absolutely would have had deep compassion, especially for the young who are searching and are searching in large part because they have been offended by their churches. And I'm not saying they're right to feel that. I'm just saying they do. And Lincoln would have understood it. He, mm. he had he had a governor who was a friend um, who was uh, kicked out of his church for dancing. Wow. And um, and Lincoln, of course, would have was, was just shaking his head. What are you talking about? And Lincoln didn't drink himself, but he had friends who had a wine, glass of wine a night with their dinner. They got kicked out of their church for having wine. And Lincoln was offended with such things, thinking that God would never do such things. So we all have, you know, anybody who wants to can have a reason to be upset with uh, with churches and religious institutions. But Lincoln at least would have been compassionate about it and would have would have would have told people, I think, very movingly of his journey and encouraged them to cling to God. Yeah, I, I teared up a little bit when you were talking about Lincoln's last words to his wife in Ford's theater because uh, I'd never heard that before. And we just have a less than a minute left. Was there any surprise that you discovered like that that really resonated with you? Maybe it's that it, maybe it's that itself that resonated with you, but that really stuck with me. That that is it right there. In fact, I was so surprised by it and so touched by it that I, I actually put it at the in the very in the introduction to my book, uh, so that people got it. Uh, we never hear it's never talked about. It's very well documented, um, and. I'm telling you, when I read that, I was stunned. And I wasn't trying to make a case pro or con Lincoln's faith. I was trying to understand Lincoln's mm-hmm. faith. But the fact that he died with with the desire to go to the Holy Land yeah. and walk in the footsteps wow. of Jesus Christ is a, is a telling statement. And by the way, one of the, like you, uh, one of the most moving things I've ever heard about a president. Me, me too. So uh, that, that's the most astonishing thing that surfaced for me. Yeah, I just love it. Did you have fun writing this book? I loved writing this book. I I loved going through all the books. I loved going to the Lincoln Library, by the way, which is magnificent. Everybody should go in Springfield. They use holograms of Lincoln speaking that you can hardly tell it's not a real person. Stunning. Amazing. And some of the best scholars in the country has met with me. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The the rebellious side of me loved telling a story nobody had heard. Yeah. Stephen, (laughs) thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Great to be with you. you. Stephen Mansfield has been my guest. Lincoln's battle with God, a president's struggle with faith, and what it meant for America. I'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.